Please uh, take your scripture and turn with me, if you would, to Mark uh, chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we'll be reading uh, verses 14 through 29 uh, this morning. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. You'll find that on page 841 of the Pew Bible. Page 841. One of the wonderful things about being able to together uh, as a congregation work through a uh, a book of the Bible, uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, is that uh, the congregation can always tell if a if a pastor skips something. Um, and uh, because you can't do that uh, when you go through uh, a book of the Bible, uh, verse by verse. And uh, there's some passages of scripture, as you know, that we would not naturally go to, perhaps, to hear uh, what the Lord has for us. And so uh, this is one of those challenging passages for us, uh, difficult to read, difficult to hear. Uh, and yet uh, the Lord has great things for us. Uh, by his spirit. So here now the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 14. Jesus has just sent out the 12 apostles here in the Gospel of Mark and went out proclaiming that people uh, should repent. And then we read these words. King Herod uh, heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge, and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can come to that word today, knowing indeed that it's not the words of men, 
simply about the very breathed out word of our creator, God. And so help us, Lord, to hear you today uh, by your spirit, uh, for your glory and for our eternal good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every age uh, has its has its villains, and uh, no shortage of villains in the last uh, hundred years in the world in which we've lived, whether it's Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein or uh, Pol Pot or uh, Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler, uh, history is filled with, with villains. We have literary villains as well. I think of uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh, Dr. Moriarty and all the wicked schemes that he would uh, conduct. And uh, the Bible, of course, has its share of villains as well. We think of Ahab and Pharaoh. Uh, but what really defines a villain? Uh, Jerry Jenkins is a uh, modern uh, Christian novelist. He wrote the Left Behind series and uh, the Chosen series. Uh, he has a, a checklist of uh, uh, what makes a villain or a good villain. These are some of the things he lists about a good villain. He's convinced he's the good guy. He has many likable qualities. He can't be a fool or a bumbler. He should occasionally be kind. He can be merciless, even to the innocent. He'll stop at nothing to get what he wants. He's proud, he's deceitful, he's jealous, especially of the hero. Uh, and he's vengeful. Uh, in today's passage of scripture, uh, we meet one of the, uh, the villains of the New Testament, Herod. His father was Herod uh, the Great. You remember at Jesus' birth. That's Herod the Great, uh, who, uh, after a few years, uh, sentences all the boys in Bethlehem under two to death so that he can hopefully get rid of Jesus. That was Herod the Great, this Herod's father. The grandson of Herod the Great was Herod Agrippa. We read of him in Acts chapter 12. Uh, where uh, he gives a speech and the crowd calls out the voice of a God, the voice of a God, remember that? And, and that Herod uh, does not give glory to God, and so immediately he experiences the judgment of God and, uh, and dies. That was Herod Agrippa. Um, this is Herod Antipas, we find out elsewhere in, in history. He's the son of Herod the Great. And when you hear the name of Herod in the Bible, immediately what should come to mind is opposition uh, to the gospel. And that's what happens here. We've just heard about Jesus sending out the twelve uh, on their mission of redemption. And verse 14 says, King Herod uh, heard of it, uh, for Jesus' name had become known. And what did he hear here? Well, the Bible says... Some were saying that uh, Jesus was the Elijah who Malachi 4 had promised would come. Before the great day of the Lord, Elijah would come. And so some thought it was Elijah come before the day of judgment. Uh, others said he was a prophet uh, like those of long ago. Prophets were known to speak powerfully God's word and God would enable them to do certain wondrous works. Others said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Now this, uh, we find out, strikes a chord with Herod because he's the one who had John killed. And Herod here, of course, had a guilty conscience. And the fame of Jesus reaching Herod's ears and uh, the perception that Jesus 
was the same kind of threat to uh, Herod as John was, um, sends Herod into this, into this great concern. And in fact, he confesses himself in verse 16. He becomes convinced himself. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, uh, has, been, has been raised. And so hearing of the news of what Jesus was doing uh, through his apostles is heard by others and is heard especially by Herod. And Herod, with his guilty conscience, uh, immediately thinks that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And then Mark tells us, you need to know what Herod did to John. You need to understand something, the Bible's saying, about the mind of Herod and why John the Baptist was killed. And so we're taken back in time. Why had John been killed? Well, uh, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, of course, we were introduced uh, to John. This is how the, the Gospel started. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stop, stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, John had come on the scene at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, uh, really bringing the similar message to the message that the apostles uh, were just sent out to bring, as we read last time. They went out proclaiming uh, that people should repent. Well, that's what John the Baptist was doing. And he was also proclaiming that uh, Jesus was coming, and uh, Jesus is mightier, and Jesus is greater, uh, and he is he's worthy to be followed. So his message was repent and uh, uh, wait for Jesus when he comes. Put your faith in him. Repent and believe. Now John then preached consistently and fearlessly that message. He preached indiscriminately. Uh, we could say, to one and all, men and women, rich and poor. Remember, uh, he has some, some uh, altercation, not altercation, but he had the, uh, you know, the religious leaders come to him as well, and so he preached to them. Uh, he would, if he was alive today, he'd preach to Republican and Democrat, you know, it wouldn't matter. Old or young, high, low, powerful, weak. And uh, the wonderful thing about John, we find out, is that um, he would not just preach uh, this message uh, generally, but he would, he would preach specifically uh, about repentance. That is, that he wouldn't just generally uh, call people to uh, repent of sin, but to repent particularly. And this is something that our confession of faith picks up in our own confession of what we believe the Bible to teach. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, we believe this. It says, men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, uh, particularly. So when we sin against someone, particularly, uh, we're called to confess our sin against that person, particularly. And not just say, sorry, I'm a sinner. But I'm sorry that I did this. 
or that I did that. Well, John was good at that, we find out. Um, he called people to repent, particularly of particular sins. You might remember Nathan, the prophet, speaking to David in the Old Testament. Uh, there's a great difference between uh, telling somebody uh, that uh, there was a man who had sinned and telling somebody, you are the man who sinned, right? And everything changes when uh, Nathan gets particular in the life of David. Well, John had no problem with that. The specific sin that John addresses, we find out in Herod's life, is Herod's marriage to Herodias, which was contrary to God's law. How so? Well, Mark 6, 17 says this, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, found him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he'd married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Three reasons why it wasn't lawful. At least three in the Bible. Leviticus 18 and 20 uh, forbids marriage to a brother's wife when the brother's still living. Also, we find out from history that Herodias was, in fact, uh, the niece of Herod, which is also forbidden in the law of God. Uh, And he also, we find out from history, had to divorce his current wife in order to marry her. And so at least three reasons why John could say, according to the word of God, Herod, uh, it's not lawful for you to do what you're doing. Now, no doubt many people would have talked about Herod. Um, But John uh, here brings the word of God to bear on this situation uh, without compromise. It is not lawful for you to do what you are doing. In other words, he had the conviction and he had the courage to speak openly and plainly to Herod about his sin. Now, this was, uh, as the Bible tells us here in Mark, this was... This was to be uh, good news for Herod, uh, this call to repentance. Now, you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute. How is a call to repentance uh, good news? Well, over in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke 3, uh, the Bible is telling about the, uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, how he's calling people to repentance, uh, and then uh, kind of sums up his ministry as it comes to the life of Herod this way. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked locked up John uh, in prison. But the Bible says that's good news. It was good news. It was gospel uh, coming to Herod, this call to repentance. Why? Because being called to repent means there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness of sin. So repent, turn from sin. Turn in faith to Christ. Uh, There is forgiveness in Jesus. uh, What he's done for our salvation. And so it's good news for Herod. But John speaks to him fearlessly about what it's not lawful for him to do. Somehow, somehow, we've got it into our minds that believers in Jesus must not confront sin And certainly not confront sin particularly, but let it exist unhindered. But if sin, as the Bible describes it, in my own life or in your life, is is like disease, and if sin is deadly, 
That means it leads to death. If sin spreads, the Bible also says, why would we ever, as believers, think it is loving to ignore it or, or to turn a blind eye to it? We don't do that in normal life. If your doctor uh, did that with cancer, uh, you would sue him for malpractice in a minute. If your doctor uh, knew uh, you've got this deadly disease uh, that's working in your life, but I don't want to upset you, um, I don't want to hurt your feelings as your doctor, so I'm just not going to tell you. You would sue him. <laughs> you have to tell me. So why is it that as believers and within the church, we think it's kind and loving to ignore our own sin and to ignore others' sin? Judge not that ye be not judged. What the Bible means there is not that we ever, never make a judgment about sin. The Lord calls us to make judgments about sin all the time. But that we're not to make a judgment about sin according to our own standards. That same passage goes on to say, uh, but make a right judgment. That is, make a judgment... Uh, according to what God says, not what the world says, or what you say, but make discerning judgments according to the word of God. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, God lays out in Ezekiel 33 that passage about the watchman. And Ezekiel was the watchman. And uh, there the Lord tells Ezekiel that you're like a, a watchman. There is, if there's judgment coming for sin, and uh, you who I've appointed as the watchman... Uh, don't uh, call people to repent from their sin. Uh, their blood, when judgment comes, will be on your hands. But if you faithfully uh, announce that there's judgment for sin, they need to repent, and they ignore you, well, well, then their blood is on their own hand. But if you know that sin leads to judgment, and you say nothing, the Bible says, you're responsible before the Lord for, for someone who is led astray. John had faithfully called Herod to account. This is important for us. God's law, God's word is not simply for Christians or the church. Every man's sin is sin against God and all men, the Bible says, everywhere in Jesus now are called to repent. Today a Christian might say, we have no business calling our president to account for sin. The Bible's for the church, not for the nations around, not for politicians. John and all the prophets would disagree because Jesus is the rightful king and all must hear his word. Why was John killed? Simply, he was faithful and fearless in standing on God's word. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have the conviction and courage to say to our own heart and others, based on the word of God, it is not lawful. It is not pleasing to the Lord. Whatever it is. Oh, there's many things. <laughs> but we won't say anything unless we're first of all convinced that the Lord has spoken to these things. He was fearless. That's why he was killed. Uh, how had John been killed. In other words, what gave opportunity uh, for his death? Notice what the Bible says. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not. 
For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. An opportunity came. We're told here that Herodias hated John and wanted him dead. That is, his faithfulness to God and faithful speaking to her and to Herod um, didn't have nice consequences. Uh, She wanted him dead. Uh, His faithfulness brought the enmity of those who loved their sin. Herod, though, is portrayed here in the scripture as a very conflicted man. He's a man who's, who's uh, struggling with his thoughts and his emotions. On the one hand, the Bible says he was greatly perplexed. It, uh, it, it, it could be translated this way, not knowing which way to turn. Oh, doesn't that describe uh, 99.9% of the world and, and, and us living in the world? Not, I'm just not sure where to turn. Uh, in decisions today. He's a conflicted man. But Bob says he feared John. Now this is really amazing. Here is King. Now really, uh, King was, uh, Herod was a tetrarch of Galilee. He was one of four rulers of Galilee, but in the time, often referred to as a king. Um, but here's this leader, here's this man of power, here's this king fearing John, who ate locusts. It was all dirty. Why did he fear him? Well, here's a, here's a preacher, here's a believer simply, here's a believer with the word of God as the only weapon in his hand. And he is, he is feared by the king. Just like uh, maybe you've read stories about John Knox and his appearance, or Queen, uh, you know, speaking to Queen uh, Mary. And, uh, uh, you know, there's these stories of how the queen feared John Knox, even though she had all... All power. One word from Knox, from the scripture. There was something about John that set him apart from others. Herod, the Bible says, knew him to be righteous and holy. Uh, But he also heard him gladly. That is, he liked to listen to him and he kept him safe from his wife, holding him in prison. That should remind you of an Old Testament story. Remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's house, and uh, Potiphar's wife sets up this uh, scenario. She's trying to get Joseph to commit sin with her, and Joseph doesn't do it. And then uh, she tells Potiphar that, you know, Joseph was trying to get after her, and and Potiphar throws him in prison. Uh, Potiphar, of course, could have killed Joseph, but instead he puts him in prison. Uh, But Herod, with all that, did not believe John. He did not respond to John's message in repentance. But there was something about this servant of God that stuck out to Herod, the king, the tetrarch of Galilee. He was a righteous and holy man. He was a just man. He was a man that was clearly, Herod knew, he was a man that was clearly set apart. And Herod knew it. Like Enoch, who in the Old Testament, the Bible says, walked with God. Or like Job, who the Lord himself says was a blameless and upright man. Or like John the Baptist's parents themselves, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who the Bible says they were devout and righteous, walking in the ways 
of the Lord, like elders and deacons are called to be in the scripture, above reproach and blameless. That doesn't mean without sin, no one without sin except the Lord Jesus, but clearly someone devoted to the Lord, committed to the Lord, walking in his ways, clearly set apart, and Herod knew it. Ah, he knew it. So though though believers are not accepted uh, by the world, this must be our witness before the world. We belong to God. And Herod knew it, even though he didn't like it. And Herodias knew it, and she hated it. But the fact that John belonged to God and was devoted to him uh, and devoted to Jesus uh, did not escape Herod's attention. We do not think like the world. We do not talk like the world. We do not love like the world. And we do not live like the world. And others must see it. And Herod did. Now wait a minute. You're saying, well, wait a minute here. If Herod knew this about John, why does he have him killed? Well, the Bible says an opportunity came. It was his birthday. And uh, as they would do, they would have this great party, uh, characterized by all that would characterize such a a party and a banquet for the rich and powerful of that day. Uh, The Bible says the nobles were there. It's actually the Greek word megas. The megas were there. You know, like on your birthday, you invite the megas, the really important people, maybe. No, that's what Herod did. Uh, The military leaders uh, and the leading men, uh, the protoss men, the first men. So these are all the big ways that Herod has invited uh, to this party. And as would be typical, there was food and there was alcohol and there was dancing and there was boasting uh, on the part of Herod. How do we know that something like this was uh, typical for the time, this boasting? Well, you might remember the story of Esther in the Old Testament. And King Ahasuerus wants to show off his queen. The Bible says this on the seventh day. When the heart of the king was merry with wine, he was drunk. Uh, He commanded some folks, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty. For she was lovely to look at. And so, what happened? These parties and merry with wine and what's going on here? Well, Herod, you know, opportunity comes for dancing and uh, to show off the, the women of the household and Herodias comes. And uh, comes before these men. And here's the thing. For Herod, for Herod now, who's conflicted, the time of crisis is about to come. Because as she comes, this is what the Bible says in verse 23, and he vowed to her, no doubt drunk at the time, and he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her brother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head. Of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you, she said to Herod, in front of all his friends, I want you to give me at once, right now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So, for Herod, now if Herod had thought maybe up to this point, he probably thought he could continue to sit on the fence with one foot 
uh, in both worlds. That is, on the one hand, gladly hearing John when it suited him. He loved to hear about the gospel. Tell me more, John. This sounds really interesting. I'll gladly hear you. And uh, uh, on the other, living a life of sin and pride and arrogance, indulging in sinful desires, as he did in taking his brother's wife, that pattern continues. And uh, Well, he's about to realize that a man, a woman, a child cannot serve two masters. And a time of crisis is about to come. And clearly Herodias has already embraced her sin and her wickedness and hates anyone who will not let her alone or calls her to change or to repent or turn to Christ. She's angry that John told the truth. Opportunity came for her to act on her hatred for John, hatred for God and his word. And an opportunity comes for Herod to make a, a decision. And this is where the Bible reveals to us uh, the heart the heart of a killer. You wouldn't think so. The heart of a murderer. The crisis comes. Uh, this is what the Bible tells us. And the king, when she comes back, and says, this is what I want. And the king, verse 26, was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. So the crisis comes, the night of partying and drinking. No doubt Herod had too much to drink. There's women and there's dancing. A foolish vow, a foolish oath. He's boasting in front of his friends, following all the desires and passions of his heart. What could go wrong? And then Herodias comes in, the daughter, and says, I want John dead. Herod was sorry, but not sorry enough. And you say, but he feared John. Yes. Wait a minute. He knew. He knew John was righteous and holy. Yes. Yes, he did. Wait a minute. He was glad to hear him. He kept him safe. Yes. So why? Why? Well, the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word. To her. Friends, for Herod, it was either it was either this. Think about your own coming to faith in Jesus. For Herod, it was either this. Say goodbye to his own pride and reputation among the nobles and military leaders and leading men of Galilee, the movers and shakers. Either say goodbye to his standing in the community, that is, forsake the world, or say goodbye to John, the righteous and holy man, that is, forsake the gospel. 
He was willing to hear John, but he would not give up his adultery. He would not stand up to his wife. He would not stand up for John. His heart would not yield. At least would not yield to the Lord. Because his heart was already yielded to something else. We'll be reminded of this in a couple chapters when uh, Jesus encounters the rich young man. Who in his pride and arrogance says, Lord, I've kept all your laws. And now I want to hear from you. And Jesus says, well, you're lacking one thing. You need to give up everything and follow me. This is what the Bible says. And Jesus, looking at him, the rich young man, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the Bible says he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, he wasn't going to give up what had truly captured his heart in order to give his heart and life to Jesus. I will not follow. And he went away sad. Friends, there are a lot, I would suspect, there's a lot of professing Christians like that today. They love to hear maybe a sermon or they'll they'll listen to something on sermon audio or they'll watch a sermon online or they'll come to a church once in a while and They'll gladly hear a sermon once in a while. They don't mind that. Something new, maybe. Something interesting out of the passage. and I'll hear that. And sure, I'll give you some time. And then I'll go about my business. But uh, I'm glad to hear something. I have absolutely no intention of actually uh, yielding up their heart to the Lord. None at all. Oh, glad to hear. See, there's, there's one foot in one world. And the other foot is firmly planted in the other. I come to church once in a while, but I I really, this is what I really love over here. And when the crisis comes, Herod will not give it up. And that's the wonderful thing about the gospel, of course, right? Jesus doesn't uh, demand simply part of me. Uh, He demands all of me. You know, conversion to Christ is like going through uh, an automatic car wash. With your vehicle. You can't go through that automatic car wash saying, okay, I think I would just like the windshield washed as I go through here. No, the the Bible says conversion to Christ is the whole man, it's the whole woman, it's all your life, it's heart, mind, will, everything gets renewed. And you can't reserve parts for yourself unattached to Jesus. But the time comes for Herod to decide. Well, his, his decision is, is swift, Mark tells us. Immediately, verse 27, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. I, says Herod, would rather commit, I would rather commit the heinous, Murder and beheading of a man I know to be good and righteous and holy and faithful to God, rather than uh, rather than slay my pride, I will choose my sinful self over all else, no matter to what terrible things it leads me. 
This is the heart of a killer. This is the heart of a murderer. Someone who uh, would do anything except (laughs) yield themselves to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the heart of sin. This is the heart of rejection of the good news. This is choosing sin over salvation. And now perhaps you can see this is why when Herod heard of it, when Herod heard of Jesus and what he was doing, and when he heard of twelve apostles going out and people being healed, and this is why when when, when Herod hears of this, um, uh, he is filled with fear and says, John the Baptist, who I beheaded, is alive. His conscience was heavy. His thoughts went back to that fateful day that we just read about when he had ordered the death of an innocent, godly man. He still has a conscience. John Chrysostom in church history said this, he cut off the head, but he did not cut off the voice. He curbed the tongue, but he did not curb the accusation. Herod was alarmed and fearful friends, but he was not repentant. He and his followers would remain opposed to the word of God and opposed to Jesus. You know, any time here, any time here, like the the tax collector, any time here, uh, Herod could have called out, God, have mercy to me, a sinner. Any time. But we find out later in the Gospels that never happened The Herodians later in Mark 12 are lumped with the Pharisees who are trying to trap Jesus in his talk. But Herod would, in fact, uh, meet Jesus before Jesus died. When Pilate calls him in in Luke 23. Notice what the Bible says in Luke 23, 8. When Herod saw Jesus many years later, the Bible says he was very glad. Because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. Show me something. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer, Jesus did. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And then the Bible says this, And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him, that's Jesus, with contempt and mocked him. And then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And sent him back to Pilate, of course, to die. Oh, at that moment, right? When the crisis came, he feared John. He he listened to his word. But he chose instead his own sin. And that sin would eventually lead to his death. Said Sinclair Ferguson, the lesson is crystal clear. Unless we silence sin, sin will silence our conscience. Unless we heed God's word, the day may come, as it did for Herod, when we despise God's Son, and then God will have nothing more to say to us. Or as John Owen put it, be killing sin, or sin will be killing 
you. Well, friends, the Lord, the Lord wants us to understand Herod. That's why this is in the Bible. The Lord wants us to understand Herod and the heart and conscience of Herod. He wants us to understand the opportunities of Herod and the disastrous choice of Herod. Why? Because like, uh, like those in Nazareth who rejected Jesus in his hometown, like those towns that the apostles would go to and no one would listen to their word, uh, Herod stands as a testimony to us of the power of sin to blind us uh, to the gift of life that is staring us right in the face. The Apostle Paul would sum it up this way. This is what's necessary for us to see as Herod did not see. St. Corinthians 4, therefore having this ministry, said Paul, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, as John did not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Herod feared him, knew him to be righteous and holy. And even, says Paul, if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, like Herod, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What makes the difference between a Herod who comes to that time of crisis? Is it going to be my sin or is it going to be embracing the gospel? The Bible says the difference is this. That it's only by the grace of God shining into your hearts uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that opens your eyes so that you reject your sin and turn from your sin and instead embrace the love of God in Jesus Christ. Well, and what of John the Baptist? When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. You ever think about John and, um, as he heard uh, the footsteps of the executioner descending the stairs, most likely into the prison? What was he thinking? My time has come. Is it time now for me to, to give my life for what I to profess all my life. What was he thinking? Well, I'll leave you with these words from J.C. Ryle. He said, Histories like these are meant to remind us that the true Christian's best things are yet to come. Don't feel sorry for John. He was faithful to the end. His rest, his crown, his wages, his reward are all on the other side of the grave. Here in this world, he was walked by faith, the believer, and not by sight. And if he looks for the praise of man, and if you look for the praise of man as a Christian in America today, you will be disappointed. Here in this life, he, that's the Christian, must sow and labor and fight and endure persecution. And if he expects a great earthly reward, he expects 
what he will not find. But this life is not all, said Ryle. There is a glorious harvest yet to come. And heaven will make amends for all. Don't feel sorry for John. He has a crown. And don't think that somehow Herod in all his wickedness got away with murder. Because unless he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, one day he indeed would face judgment for this terrible sin. But for us today, there is yet time to give up uh, what's captured our hearts if it's not Jesus himself. And to embrace him as we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus by his grace and by his mercy. It is the only way to true life. Maybe so. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every passage of scripture. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and you sanctify us by the truth. And so, Lord, we trust today that you'll take this passage, too, and sanctify it in our lives, that we would be... Lord, convicted of the need, like John, to stand for truth fearlessly, upholding the word of God, that we would be known in our own communities, among our families, those who are are righteous and, and holy, set apart for you, not because of anything in us, but because we know that we do not belong to ourselves, but that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ's body and soul. And, oh, Lord, help us. Uh, to know that like John, as we are faithful, Lord, we need not fear uh, what may come. But Lord, that we might entrust ourselves to you, whom to know is eternal life. Help us, Lord, to that end. Use us for your glory, even in this age. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.